Welcome back, friends. This is Brent from Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast. In fact, this is Season 4, Episode 17 of the Blogcast. Tonight, Sunday, November 4th, uh, Week 9 of the NFL season and for the Redskins, having played their 8th game today, they dropped to 5-3, and three, though they remain in first place in the NFC East after uh, getting pretty much run out the gym, so to speak, by the far faster Atlanta Falcons to the tune of 38-14, to 14, despite being in the friendly confines of FedEx Field. Tonight, as usual, I've got a few thoughts about the game, and then let's chat about what exactly is going on with this 2018 Redskins season, and where exactly do we go from here? Before I dig right in, though, a little programming note. I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday, but I want to make sure my regular listeners and subscribers are aware that I have actually, in recent weeks, decided to recommit somewhat to Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast. Number one, because the season has become perhaps somewhat unexpectedly interesting. And number two, because, well, I'm having a pretty good time doing it again, which certainly is not completely independent from number one. So if you will kindly subscribe to Burgundy Blogcast on your podcast format or application of choice, you can reasonably expect one to two of these from me per week for the remainder of the season, as it hopefully lingers into January, parentheses, I dare not suggest or expect February. And also, please note that going forward, Burgundy Blogcast will be joining forces with what I think is a pretty exciting, fairly new, definitely cool local sports podcasting project called Blue Wire Pods, which you can find at bluewirepods.com. Blue Wire is headed up by my Twitter pal Kevin Jones, who formerly did some Redskins and other DMV area sports, but now lives in San Francisco and has a pretty badass 49ers blog, among other things. For those of you who have listened to Burgundy Blogcast for some time, I guess I really don't expect this transition to Blue Wire Pods to change your blogcast experience very much, but we certainly hope you will, of course, peruse my fellow Blue Wire Pods, and that starting next week, probably, you will... Excuse the introduction to a sponsor or two. These good people are, of course, merely trying to keep Burgundy Blogcast worth my while. So the Redskins lost today at home by a fellow NFC contender by 24 points. It's not easy to put a positive spin on that kind of result, and I'm not going to try. They got beaten badly today on offense and defense, and special teams didn't exactly do much to change the outcome, although Tress Way continues to punt his ever-loving ass off. The number one thing that stood out from this game for me, and that will stick with me, is that the Falcons are just so much faster than the Redskins in every phase and at basically every position group, except for maybe quarterback. I guess there might be a few others, but I think you'll agree that one team today looked very fast and the other looked slow. And that's really the reality. I mean, we kind of knew that coming in, but it certainly was on display. The Falcons are near the top of the NFL in overall team speed, and the Redskins, despite their good record, are near the bottom. And today, even on grass and at home, it really just felt like that speed was making the difference all day long. Atlanta used their speed to get out to an early lead, which, as we all know by now, is essentially insurmountable to these Redskins in any magnitude. Yes, that's right. I'm inferring that even a seven-point deficit is pretty much curtains for this team. 
And yeah, that would seem to put something of a ceiling on the season. From that point on, the Redskins struggled mightily to catch up or even keep pace. They were unable to establish Adrian Peterson in the ground game, which is really the only part of their offense that functions. And on defense, they were unable to even hang their hat on what had been their calling card, which is supposedly imposing run defense, as the Falcons racked up over 150 rushing yards to complement Matt Ryan's 330-plus passing yards. Basically, nothing went right, and I'm going to be very hard-pressed to identify any individual standout performers, though I suppose I must try. Moreover, although execution was clearly a humongous problem, I would say that Jay Gruden and his staff seemed again to be just overmatched, as was the appearance in previous losses to the Colts and Saints. I think first, for context and frame of reference, I'm going to do a little recap or rundown of what actually happened in the game based on uh, my couple of pages of notes. First quarter, Redskins' first possession. Sean Laval had two terribly hideous-looking plays before exiting with what looks to be a bad injury. First, he had a hold, which basically killed the drive. Then he gave up an ugly sack while getting absolutely bullied by Grady Jarrett. And it was on that play that he came up lame before, of course, exiting on a wheelchair. Recently, I actually gave Laveo a little bit of credit for being a pretty effective player for Adrian Peterson in paving the way in the run game, though he has major deficiencies in the pass game and overall he's really just a guy. That said, if he is out for an extended period or for the season, which seems like it is within the realm of possibility based on how pathetic he looked in that wheelchair, the Redskins are actually going to feel that a little bit because Chase Roulier is not as good as Laveo is at left guard and Tony Bergstrom is not either. And for that matter, Ty Inseki probably isn't either, and he's the guy that finished the game playing at that position because of all the other injuries. So Laval sucked on that drive and then exited, but if, if he's gone, I'm afraid that, that doesn't really bode real well for the Redskins in their run game, which is, as previously stated, the only thing they've had clicking on offense. Also notable here is that Ha Ha Clinton Dix, recently acquired by trade, started the game and played, like I think, almost every snap through the first quarter into the second quarter, eventually gave way to Nicholson then I think kind of alternated, but uh, started and played quite a lot. Though you could clearly see, even on the broadcast, uh, on the first series, he seemed to be getting a lot of very demonstrative communication or even almost like coaching from Swearinger back there in the secondary with him. Um, I think it says something good about HaHa that they felt confident enough in him to start him, but I thought that that interaction which the camera caught was reflective of what we should already have assumed to be true, which is that it will take him a couple of weeks to really get the defense down. After that, there was a short sequence where Norman and then Dunbar both had pretty nice pass breakups, so I thought maybe the defense might be gathering a little momentum. But before long, Tevin Coleman scored on a long screen pass to make it 7-0, and that play was just exceptionally well blocked, as explained nicely by Charles Davis on the broadcast. It really didn't seem to me like the Redskins did anything terribly wrong on that play. It's just that they didn't really do anything right, and the Falcons had everybody completely shut down. When the Redskins got the ball back, um, they really, I thought, wasted prematurely a, a timeout on third and two. And yeah, they converted, um, so maybe you would say that the timeout was put to good use. But man, I hate Jay Gruden repeatedly burning these early first and early third quarter timeouts for reasons that are unclear, and, and really what I think that boils down to is just disorganization. Uh, shortly after that, Alex Smith threw a really nice pass to Paul Richardson to convert a third down. thought that was a nice example of something good from both of them. After that, Morgan Moses 
had a uh, holding penalty and got hurt and then had to leave for a little while. He eventually came back into the game, but he continues to pile up little nicks and nagging things. And that penalty really foreshadowed just a slew of them throughout the remainder of the game. By now, you've probably heard or read that the Redskins had a total of 10 penalties in this game for 147 yards, which is just devastating. Perhaps some of that falls on uneven refereeing, but obviously a lot of that falls on sloppy play by the team. A little bit later on, Josh Jackson had, within the span of like three or four plays, two of the worst drops you'll ever see on balls that hit him first right in the chest and then right in the hands, both of which would have been first downs. And at this point, I'm just throwing my hands up into the air and saying, not again, not again. The Falcons got the ball back and they were driving. And then before the end of the first quarter, Quentin Dunbar had a nice pass breakup and then boom, a nice interception of a pretty badly thrown ball by Matt Ryan, or at least one that resulted from a miscommunication with the receiver. And at that point, they were still only down seven. And I tweeted and was thinking that, man, that was just an an enormous takeaway by Quentin Dunbar that um, could have basically saved the game. Because if the Falcons go up 14-0 there, the route is really on. So at this point, I was thinking that Dunbar had managed to avoid that situation. Sadly, of course, we would come to realize that he was merely delaying the inevitable. Props to Dunny on that pick, though, especially bouncing right back after his injury. Second quarter. Starts off with me thinking to myself and writing down, man, this offense still looks downright brutal. But I'm also noting at this point that Tressway has downed no fewer than three punts inside the 20, uh, continuing what has just been a really nice streak of precise directional punting by that guy. Early in the second quarter, Danny Johnson, the undrafted rookie defensive back who had not seen a ton of time coming into this game, had a really sweet tackle. I bet you'll remember this. He really flew in like a missile in the open field and closed on a guy with great acceleration, bringing him down immediately. That play really impressed me. But unfortunately, shortly thereafter, Julio Jones had two big gains, and then Ito Smith scored to make it 14-0 Falcons. The Redskins tried to make a game of it right after that. And there was, a, there was a sequence with a number of good offensive plays in which, for example, Vernon Davis had a nice third down conversion. Then Jordan Reed caught a nice pass for a first down. Then Doxon, in his um, e- effort to redeem the two brutal mistakes from the first quarter, had a really sick sideline catch for a short gain. Then Adrian Peterson had a, a nice, uh, broke off a nice gain for a first down. And then came this memorable play where Alex Smith seemed to be dead to rights by two or three different guys in the backfield, somehow miraculously escaped and ran for, I think, 22 yards down the right sideline, demonstrating terrific escapability before he inexplicably decided against going out of bounds and got absolutely annihilated in the head. Should that have been a penalty? I'm not really sure, Uh, but I am surprised that it wasn't one given just how the league's been going lately. Either way, I was very impressed with, with that play by Alex Smith prior to the part about almost getting decapitated, and then by what he did right afterwards, which was throw a nice ball to Harris to get down inside the five. And then, of course, stop the presses. He threw a fade to Josh Doxson in the back corner, and it was successful. Doxson caught a touchdown pass by fade, no less, and the offense really did look very functional on that drive. After the Falcons got the ball back, the Redskins defense tried to do some things on that next possession, including a sack by Kerrigan and then a really nice power sack by Ioannidis, who, geez, I mean, that guy is really showing off lately. What a brute. But the drive ended in futility as Calvin Ridley uh, took off on a crossing route and completion over the middle 
outrunning the entire defense, including especially Monte Nicholson, who took kind of a bad angle, and that made it 21-7, and at that point, I think we pretty much all knew that it was over. First of all, Ridley looked, man, really good, super fast on that play, and we could see throughout the day today that, geez, Julio Jones plus Mo Sanu plus Calvin Ridley is a, a really, really good set of, of three top wideouts. Now, on that play, it sure seemed like the Falcons, and I think Sanu in particular, set an illegal pick, and there will be a lot of discussion this week about how the Redskins were really victimized by those picks while the ball was in the air, and some controversy over the extent to which several of those instances were probably penalties that didn't get called by the Falcons. And if you're all up in arms about those, I would agree with you. There was probably at least two or three times, including definitely and most importantly on that play, where the Falcons were blocking before the ball was completed. And I don't really know what to tell you. It happened, but that is that is an example of a type of foul that happens a lot and does not get called a lot. And you really can't bank on the ref calling that play every time. The Redskins got uh, manhandled on that sort of route and, and that type of play by the Colts and T.Y. Hilton in particular earlier this year. And it happened again today. And it's all over the film. And everybody else is going to keep throwing that at the Redskins. And they're going to have to figure out what to do about it. At this point in the game, coming into the half, the Falcons were 8-for-8 eight eight on third down as an offense, which is just humiliating for the Redskins' defense. The Falcons had racked up 289 yards of offense, and I think it should have been clear to us all at that point that, that this talk of the Redskins' defense being dominating and suffocating and elite needs to go on hold for a long while. Finally, right before the half, there was this ridiculous play where uh, the Redskins actually had a couple... Um, nice like draw and screen plays to to get within striking distance and then Alex heaves up this long pass that was really ugly and definitely should have been picked but wasn't and then Doxon somehow like feels this rebound for a, a, a reception that should have put them into easy short field goal range but yet again another holding penalty negating the gain and ending the threat third quarter Atlanta starts off by, well, continuing to do pretty much whatever they want on offense, and ultimately, Tevin Coleman scores yet another touchdown to make it 28-7. to Then the wheels kind of started to fall off in a number of different ways. I wondered how many of you noticed this one play where Alex Smith and Adrian Peterson were like having a sort of a heated conversation like right before the play about where Peterson was supposed to line up. Like they were almost arguing. Later, Alex threw another pass that should have been picked off by Marcus Trufant, but wasn't. And I want to stop here to note something about Alex, which I'll probably come back to, but there have been a lot of plays this year where he should have been intercepted, but wasn't. And I think that this interferes a little bit with the narrative that he's such a ball security guru. I mean, yes, his interception and overall turnover total is low, but I'm sorry, there's been like two or three passes every game that really should have been picked off that just weren't. He keeps getting lucky with dropped INTs. And furthermore, he fumbled the ball a lot in the first few games of the season. In fact, I think he has six fumbles on the year, but I think perhaps he's only lost maybe one of them. So I just think this needs to be noted. I mean, yes, the Redskins have made their way to five wins largely on the back of uh, a positive turnover margin. Today, by the way, it was one-to-one on turnovers. And Smith's interception today was kind of the opposite. He really did not deserve it. He put it right in Vernon Davis's breadbasket, and Vernon dropped it, and then that one got picked by KZ in a sweet play on the sideline. So, you know, that kind of goes against what I'm saying right now. But in general, uh, many times this year, there have been times where he should have been picked off. And I know that happens to every quarterback, but I'm sorry. I think it's been happening more to him this year than others. 
So after that near pick, Doxon had this leaping sideline grab, which was pretty awesome. And so now he's made like three good plays since his two incredibly boneheaded ones in the first quarter. But what does he do? He spins the ball. Now, I'm not going to jump on him at all about this because guess what? That's not supposed to be a penalty. Guys do that all the time anymore. Santana Moss used to do it. It was a signature thing. And I, I know the rules have changed, but it's still legal. People do it. Mo Harris did it in this game later on. Didn't get flagged. He wasn't talking to any of the opponents when he did it. He wasn't pointing at anybody. I can't imagine he was really saying anything because it didn't look like that. And really, that's not the sort of dude that he is either. But he was not taunting at all. He spun the ball because he made a sweet play. That's legal. The refs botched that one. That should not have been flagged. Then the possession got worse when uh, Brandon Sheriff had a hold that wiped out a really big gain on an Adrian Peterson screen. And then after that, Uh, It goes from bad to worse with Brandon Sheriff getting hurt in what looked to me like something that's probably going to turn out to be a multi-week injury because that guy looked like he was writhing in pain. He's getting an MRI on his shoulder tomorrow, but of course, he did not come back. And man, I don't even want to try and project what they're going to do. If he has to miss a lot of time, especially with Trent, already sidelined for the next like two to three weeks at least after having had thumb surgery, the offensive line is in big, big trouble if Sheriff misses multiple games. In the midst of all that, Morgan Moses gets flagged for like basically just talking to a ref. He definitely didn't touch him. It didn't look over the top to me. At this point, it really starting to feel like the refs are definitely piling on top of the Redskins. After that, I happened to note randomly that Greg Stroman fair catches almost everything when he's back to return a punt. I mean, I, I kind of like the kid. I like him as a tough corner. I've seen him return some punts where he looks kind of kind of agile, which is good, I guess. But Greg Stroman will fair catch a punt if he has 12 or 15 yards in front of him. I mean, they got to tell the guy to try to return a kick. Okay, after that fair catch, the Redskins offense did have another, you know, pretty good drive, although we're we're already kind of into garbage time here. Mo Harris had a long catch and then another first down. Then, oh, this was great. Jerron Christian, the rookie who basically just doesn't belong in the NFL. Um, Granted, I, I know it's his first NFL game, so perhaps I'm being a little harsh, but It certainly looked in the preseason, and it definitely looked again today that he just has no business being on an NFL field right now. If he's an athletic developmental project, so be it, but there's a lot more projecting to do with him. He did not look good today at any of the positions he was forced to play. Actually, I guess it was just both left and right tackle briefly. Anyway, on this drive, which would eventually culminate in a Bibbs touchdown, there were two consecutive plays where, where first Christian had a bad hold, and then he got absolutely crushed by I forget who. Just walked back and run over. So, yeah, my hopes are not super high on Jerron Christian. At least not anytime soon. Anyway, Bibbs had a nice nice touchdown to uh, close the gap to 28-14. to 14. And then the defense did make a quick stop. So, uh, coming into the fourth quarter here, it's a two-score game. And they have maybe a tiny bit of momentum. But in the fourth quarter, they quickly lost the momentum and never regained it. Of course, they punted after another hold. At this point in the broadcast, I think Charles Davis notes that the, the Skins had been flagged for eight holds, although not all of them had been accepted. I mean, yes, I know you've got some backups and some inexperienced guys in there, but eight holds? WTF, Bill Callahan. Come on, teach them what a hold is. Then I'm noting that, that Atlanta on offense is just running, for some reason, through absolutely gaping holes here. And the Redskins have all of their starting defensive line in. I mean, the Alabama wall is crumbling. And for, through the first half, 
and maybe into the third quarter, it kind of felt like some of the bigger gains by Tevin Coleman and Ito Smith were sort of off tackle or around the edge. But here in the third and fourth, I don't know if the guys were getting tired or if maybe this was a little bit of like a motivation or an effort type issue. I mean, you hate to think that because this whole thing about how the Alabama guys are just never going to quit because they're machines. But man, those those Falcons running backs were just running through some wide open holes here in the fourth quarter. Then Josh Norman got smoked by Julio Jones and had an embarrassing, just ridiculous-looking uh, pass interference call from behind. Atlanta kicked a field goal to make it 31-14. Then, then was was the Redskins' possession where uh, Alex had this interception that I referenced earlier where it was completely on Vernon Davis. And then uh, the, when Atlanta got the ball back, uh, Julio scored a completely badass monster touchdown to make it 38-14. By which point, we're all just clearly regretting that we even came back for the second half. Julio absolutely whipped Norman on that play again. He just broke him down right off the line, completely lost him, and got wide open. And then nobody could catch him, including HaHa ha Clinton Dix, who tried inside the five but just got dominated. After that final score, there was only two other things that interested me. Number one, I think Inseki got hurt towards the end. Uh, he definitely blocked the last few plays while holding, I think, his left wrist. I mean, geez, like everybody was already dead. They were playing with their last five dressed offensive linemen. Matt Ioannidis was apparently going to be the next man up if anyone else had gotten injured. Yeah, that's Ioannidis to play offensive line. So Inseki knew that, like, really he had to stay in the game, but he clearly wasn't right. And now we got to wait and see what's wrong with him. I hope that's not a, a big deal, but let me just explain to you that if Trent Williams misses next week, which is guaranteed, and then Laveo is also out, and then Sheriff is out, which I'm kind of expecting. And then Inseki is out or like not functioning functioning at, at full capacity. That is a big fat L right there. I don't care if it's Tampa or Cleveland or William and Mary. That is prohibitive. One other thing was, was just another one of these kind of totally unimportant garbage time plays. But as the Redskins were trying to just break off chunks of yardage there to make it somewhat less embarrassing, there was a play where Mo Harris was so wide open over the middle that there were like no other humans in the frame on either team. He had 15 or 20 yards of open space around him, and Alex Smith missed him by like five yards. He didn't even have a chance. He couldn't even get a hand on it. I'm like, what? What the heck, Alex? Ugh. And then the game ended. I want to just say that I, I think we're too far into the season, and we've seen too much of the team by now. I mean, of course, literally, we're halfway. For us to try and take this game and blow it into like a, a larger, sweeping, all-encompassing projection of like what the 2018 Redskins really are. I mean, they got dominated. They gave up 500 yards of total offense. They lost the time of possession battle by six minutes. They gave up 10 of 13 third-down conversions to the Falcons, and an even worse percentage than that during the time of the game that actually mattered. They gave up five touchdowns. They had double-digit penalties accepted for almost a buck fifty. I mean, they got dismantled, okay? Noted and established. However, this has already happened once before, and then they went on a three-game winning streak. Furthermore, pro football is just increasingly a week-to-week -week thing. I mean, every week, a bad team beats a good team, and sometimes it happens two or three times. The definitions of bad and good are very blurry now. The Redskins are not necessarily good, but they're not bad either, I don't think. I mean, they're 5-3, and three, 
and no one should really be thinking that they're a legitimate threat to make a deep playoff run, but yeah, they could absolutely be a playoff team. I mean, they're in the driver's seat. First place for at least another week or two, and they did earn it with some gritty wins, including one against the Panthers who look pretty good. We know that they're very, very inconsistent, but it might be time to just kind of accept that and move on. As bad as this loss was, they're really not the sort of team where I think you should worry a lot that, that it's going to escalate or like snowball or something like that. In fact, they're the opposite. They usually play really well after a really crappy outing like this. So again, as bad as it was, to me, it's a loss. I'm not going to make it into more than that. It's just a loss. And one to a team that we all knew was a little bit better than their record coming in. And I'm just not that worried about some huge emotional hangover. I just think it was a wasted opportunity. And I still think the defense and really the running game, at least when people are somewhat healthy, are good enough that it's not some kind of sham that the Redskins are 5-3. and three. I mean, that, that is, that's a feasible, realistic record for what this team is. They didn't luck into that. I think it's fairly representative of who they are. Now, as I touched on, if, if these offensive line injuries mount and linger like they did last year, or if it gets half as bad as it did last year, and by the way, it already is right now ha- at least half as bad, then yeah, this whole thing goes poof. Uh, this goes away. This goes down the drain. The season will, will disintegrate again because you can't function with a bunch of JV offensive linemen. You just can't. You can't run an offense like that, and you can't win games, especially a team which in its first eight games has literally lost every single time they got behind. So yeah, pray for those uh, injured offensive linemen, but don't like, you know, cancel Sunday ticket just because this loss was so humiliating. Jay Gruden and his staff did not improve their reputations today. Not a one of them. The play calling on both sides of the ball looked weak and uninspired as they got out to a 14-point deficit. The number of penalties was absolutely insane. They couldn't get Adrian Peterson going, which was a must. They couldn't stop the run or the pass. And frankly, it just really never even seemed like they had much of a chance, even though they were at home against a team with a far worse record. All of this is still true and not entirely excused just by a a spate of offensive line injuries. So even in light of what I just said a minute ago about this not being the end of the world, this is definitely a black mark for Jay Gruden. We may need to have a little come-to-Jesus conversation about Alex Smith. I've been putting this off as long as possible. In fact, I hope this day wouldn't come. But I need to acknowledge now, even on this day where he did throw technically for over 300 yards, and you might argue that this was his best or one of his best days as a Redskin, even on this day, it is today, it is now, that I must acknowledge that his play has been bad for most of the year and he's holding the Redskins back. The one thing you can say about Alex Smith is that he is tough as shit. He demonstrated on that drive where he uh, had that awesome 20-plus yard run and then got obliterated and then bounced back for a sweet pass to Mo Harris and then the touch fade to Doxon. I mean, he is a tough dude, and I do think that he still has the trust and support of his teammates. And I also don't mean to discount the advantage of his vast experience. I mean, that is certainly helping him, or at least should be, or should in the future, you would think. But number one, his greatest attribute otherwise is supposed to be ball security. And in general, he has demonstrated that so far this year, at least in the stat sheet. But 
As previously explained, I don't really think he's even been quite as careful with The Rock as we think, or as we've been saying. Because realistically, having actually watched the games, I think his turnover count should be significantly higher than it actually is. Secondly, his accuracy is just not good. I mean, every game, yes, he turns in a few good passes, and I did try to note them in my notes. And what a genius move that is, to note something in one's notes. But yeah, he threw a seed early on to Richardson. And the deep sideline ball that Davis muffed was actually a nice toss. And he put good touch on the fade to Docs. Okay, so it's happening. There are some nice passes. But there are so many passes every game, a half dozen or more, that are just wildly off target. Often in key situations. I don't understand this. Obviously, his two previous teams, the 49ers and the Chiefs, didn't move on from him because he was some total world beater. I mean, I get that he wasn't perfect. But I've watched him quite a bit in you know both of his previous stops. And he was far more accurate for both of his other teams than he has now been in, you know, eight full games for the Redskins. He's missing guys on the regular. And in the pocket, although I know he's not, like, afraid, his feet are skittish. And he's just definitely holding onto the ball so, so much longer than we're used to seeing. I mean, Cousins was kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, I get it. But for the first month or so, you, you can more comfortably blame it on lack of chemistry or experience or whatever with your receivers but after two full months you know it starts to become a thing where it's like whatever the reason is dude this isn't working you know there's no rhythm or timing to the passing game at all I mean he's able to extend plays a little bit better than Cousins was yes but the the timing plays are dead he refuses to throw with anticipation this has to be limiting the playbook anyway it's not just growing pains anymore it shouldn't be taking this long at this point there's a problem So I fired off a tweet suggesting that for all of these reasons, and even as a guy who endorsed the trade to get him, and who expected a good season from him, and who even recently on podcasts has, you know, campaigned for more patience with Alex, today's the first time where I started to think, yes, even as they sit atop the division, that I certainly would not blame Jay for at least having some thoughts some little wonderings, some little musings about what this offense might actually look like if he was not under center and if it was Colt McCoy. Now, I have no delusions about Colt McCoy. I don't think he's, you know, a good starting quarterback. And I don't think he has a high chance to be some Cinderella story. But then again, no Cinderella looks like they're going to be a Cinderella at the beginning, you know? I'm not saying I'm strongly in favor of making a change right now, and I may not even get to that point, because it would cause a lot of problems. You are right if you think that there would be drama. There would be. And it wouldn't just be on the radio. It would be in the locker room. A QB controversy at this juncture would be a humongous risk. And I think in some ways it would be kind of like Gruden's last grasp. And I don't think it's, it's quite to the point yet where his back is fully up against that wall. But yeah, I think it's absolutely possible. In fact, I think it's probable that if he's being honest with himself, he would look back at at these first eight games and say that the offense would be better with Colt. I mean, I'm sorry, but it's been bad. It just couldn't be much worse. Colt knows the offense like the back of his hand, clearly indisputably better than Alex does at this point. Colt can hand off to Adrian Peterson just as well as Alex can. Colt can basically ignore Jason Reed just as well as Alex can. Colt probably knows what Doxon can and cannot do a little bit better than Alex does. And frankly, I'm not at all sure that Cole doesn't have more left in his legs right now than Alex does. So yeah, money is a huge part of this. And, you know, they say that 
Alex Smith's contract basically binds him to the Redskins for all intents and purposes for three years or a bare minimum of two years. Although technically it's probably possible for them to swallow an enormous grenade after only one year. So if you kind of know that there's just zero chance you're moving on from him, then I also certainly wouldn't blame them for like putting off the full force souring of the relationship until the last possible minute. But I mean, yeah, dude, if you take these two guys, Alex and Colt, right now and told me that they were both on the same cheap contract, I got to believe that Gruden fighting for his livelihood, fighting for his tenure in this fifth year would be having long, hard hours of introspection about which way to go. As for the defense, I can't explain why a unit that is so talented and has been so good against the run was just allowing enormous running lanes in the second half. And I have to think that some of that falls on Minuski's strategy, especially considering that the Falcons are without the two guards that they started the season with as well. Both of those dudes are on IR. The pass game is one thing, but they should not have been able to do what they did in the run game. So that's a big fail, and I'm putting it on Minuski and Tom Sula. Sorry. Mason Foster and Zach Brown, who both had been looking pretty good over this short win streak recently, also just looked kind of out of place overall and unable to make an impact. The Redskins did somehow get three sacks I don't think I can even remember all three, and it really didn't feel like they, they were getting that de- even that degree of pressure today. In the secondary, I thought Dunbar looked pretty good overall coming back from injury. I thought Norman looked okay at the beginning, but ultimately got totally devoured by Julio. I thought Swearinger today in the midst of his possibly all-pro season looked kind of like he was just there. And then I tried to look closely at HaHa Clinton Dix, the new guy, but he didn't really stand out too much one way or the other. Uh, you know, one thing that he kind of brought with him was this knock for maybe not being physical. Uh, but I thought his tackling seemed like it was okay. I mean, he couldn't handle Julio on his touchdown. But, I mean, that would apply to the vast majority of defensive backs. And actually, I thought there was at least two or three times where he really stuck his head in there and went pretty hard at a at a ball carrier uh, in the second level. So, yeah, overall, I mean, for a Redskins debut, the fact that he started and played quite a lot and really didn't get victimized and certainly seemed willing to mix it up, I thought that was encouraging, and there's reason to believe that he could contribute substantially down the stretch. But they really absolutely immediately need to figure out teams that can throw the ball because their next two games are against teams with good receivers and good pass offenses, frankly, including even the Buccaneers next week. They're not a great team, but Fitzmagic has been kind of lighting it up. And then after that, Deshaun Watson and the Texans, now featuring both DeAndre Hopkins and Demarius Thomas. So the Redskins got to figure out how to stop the bleeding against teams with strong pass offenses right away. Here's a freebie for you. Uh, The Raiders are apparently going to cut Bruce Irvin tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Because it's after the trade deadline, he's going to go on waivers. It would cost about $3.5 million, I think, to pay him for the rest of this year on his current contract, which is what you'd have to do if you claimed him. Now, Bruce Irvin is 31 years old. I am aware that he is, he's probably past the peak of the uh, midpoint or prime of his career. He has only three sacks this year on a dismal Raiders team after Khalil Mack left. He did have eight sacks last year. I think he has only something like six tackles this year, and Raiders fans have been all over him about that, although I'm not sure that's such a great indicator of exactly how good he still is. I can see that I have not watched a lot of Bruce Irvin as a Raider over the last 12, 15 months or so. 
but having sniffed around about him, I have reason to believe that he still would be a significant upgrade in terms of pass rushing over Pernell McPhee and Ryan Anderson. I said on Twitter a couple of days ago, and I still feel like he would be a good player for the Redskins to add. I think the defense would potentially be better if he was on it. Now, you'd have to cut someone, and I think I'd be pretty comfortable cutting Pernell McPhee, who's making almost nothing with zero guaranteed. And although there was a story recently that he paid for some huge dinner for the entire defense, which maybe suggests that, I don't know, I guess he's probably a positive locker room influence, I'm not sure that he is so ingrained in this team yet that, that he's not expendable. And yeah, I do just think the team is probably better off with Bruce Irvin over McPhee at this point. However, I'm not sure that it's worth claiming him. I mean, it's, it's a non-trivial expense to pay him $3.5 for the remaining eight games. I think they're going to kind of want that money to be able to carry over for next year with a couple of guys, most notably Sheriff, looking to get paid. So for me, it's more of a thing where if he clears waivers, what do you do? And, and yeah, I mean, there's going to be probably more than one team interested in him. But if he does clear, then yeah, I hope the Redskins at least look into it because they could still use another edge bender for nickel situations. And, you know, I, I kind of tossed out on Twitter the idea of a so-called NASCAR package uh, on third downs featuring Payne and Ioannidis on the line and then all three edge guys, meaning Kerrigan, Preston Smith, and Bruce Irvin. I think that'd be a pretty nice club to have in the bag, if you will. Anyway, it's one of those things that's obviously probably not going to happen, but I think it's an interesting discussion. I would definitely think about rolling the dice. 